Welcome to PB&J Connection. This will not be televised podcast. Thanks for checking us out. I'm PB. And I'm Jay. Our health-related discussions will convey educational information about medical research, studies, facts, findings, and experiences of people from every walk of life. Concepts will be simple and easy to understand. We've got you covered. And we promise to not be boring. So let's dive into the world of health you won't find on your television. I am Jay and... AP here. And Pam is going to start us out with today's trivia question. So listeners, today's trivia question has to do with our teeth. When was the toothbrush invented? Listen to the end of this podcast and we will provide you with the answer. So for today's uh, episode, we're going to talk about innovation, new innovation, things that are happening in the world of of healthcare and, and medicine, and hopefully you'll find some insight. We were, we were, Jay and I were just completely floored by some of the things that we found out. So I'm going to start off because I've been diving into AI for a little while now. I'm going to say maybe three weeks, just diving into it, and looking at the capabilities, what it can do, how it can respond. And, and of course, AI is becoming more and more prevalent in our society, but they are also using the algorithms and machine languages or AI um, to detect diagnosing and treating diseases. The thing is with AI is that it's making the process of diagnosing more rapid and treatment faster for those people who, who are suffering from some sort of disease or ailment. And so it's a good thing. So when I say artificial intelligence, I am so glad, Jay, I'm not saying artificially dumb. Because <laughs> this whole landscape of AI is, is, you know, AI has been around for quite so many years. I'm gonna say at least more than 10 years, right? Of using AI, we've seen it in our, our when we go Google search or in our phone apps, I mean, AI has been there all along, you know, in social media, you know, social media knows exactly what types of videos you look at. So you'll find, you'll look at pull up one video and the next video will be something related to a video that you saw last week, you know? It's- so AI has been around, but never has it been so prevalent as because people are more people are using it, so Pam and finding more ways to use it. So Pam, so it's it's pretty much uh, since you've been researching this, it's pretty much been evolving, right? I mean, it used to be yes. rather rather elementary, and now mm-hmm. it's evolving to something more complex and more sophisticated, right? Absolutely, and it's learning every minute, every second. You know how, you know, it takes us, you know. Uh, time we can our brains can only hold so much information AI is able to learn quicker faster better than a human being because there are so many people that are dumping information into AI that it's taking all that information process it and be able to use it sort it um, filter it and put it out there the way we want to do it you know, so if you go in and ask AI questions, so I, it's fascinating that 
machine learn as fast as they do right now, that there is a, a risk. Everybody knows that. And, and I know that for some older adults, it may be a little bit too scary. And I say older because these kids that are, are, are being born now, they come out automatically ready for the world of AI. It was, uh, I remember a, uh, this video that I saw on YouTube, and this was several years ago, I'm say more than five, and this little girl, her mom gave her a book, just a regular book, and she was maybe two or three years old. And instead of her turning the pages of the book, she was hitting it as if it was a screen, you know, <laughs> to like change the page, right? Just like that changing. So, you know, the thing is, as kids are becoming, as our generations are, are well, as AI is evolving, our kids, human beings are evolving as well. Because the fact that we're becoming quite dependent upon AI, these big corporations, don't have to do as much work uh, because AI, they learn, if you train AI because you can teach AI to do what you want it to do, as well as you can all also put in your your own biases. And, the, and that, I think, has a lot to do with the fear because, in fact, it depends on who's programming and who's putting that information in. But I'm not going to go down that road because that, that's a whole different thing that, that Jay and I touched on in the previous podcast about AI, but AI has been good as far as helping health, uh, health organization and hospitals and, and providers with detecting threats, cyber threats, uh, using AI. There was a Forbes article that was written, and it was Anita Gupta and you probably have heard the name before, um, and she is a professor of medicine, um, I want to say Harvard, I believe it's Harvard, <laughs> excuse me, and her quote was, the AI can assist healthcare organizations against cyber attacks, and it's true, AI can do that. When we think about cyber attacks, we also have to think about how much data that we have put out on the internet about our own health. You know, when we look at the electronic healthcare system, the electronic healthcare system is just basically all this data that is put in in one place that is accessible by by anybody who is part of the electronic record system. You know, any organization that has electronic health record system, and that includes your doctor, your dentist, your 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 hospitals, any time, even CVS now because CVS is connected to the doctor, the doctor can get information, like if you don't go to the doctor to get a vaccine, it will be on your health record with CVS pharmacy. So even the pharmacies are connected to the electronic health record system. So all this data, your personal data is going into this system and it's also vulnerable to cyber attacks for somebody to get information about you in particular on what you have and it's also a way and i'm going to say this it's also a way for ai to use it or these corporations to use that information to determine what drugs to push your way 
you know, what advertising. <laughs> Marketing. What advertising. It's all about the money. And we said this, Pam. How many times it's have we said, follow the money, right? Follow the money. How many follow times have money. we said that one? <laughs> Just saying. Yes, follow the money. So if, if you're diagnosed with something like uh, A1C, let's let's just pick something, diabetes. Let's, let's pick that. That's a common one. And you've been diagnosed with it. Before you even have a chance to even talk to your doctor about your A1C or your diabetes or what alternatives or drugs you take, AI has already got that information and to push advertising, depending on the corporation, like that's you know, a pharmaceutical company, like if it's Eli Lilly or one of the other big boys, they can push advertising in the direction of your phone or of your computer, specifically for A1C. You wonder, well, why am I getting all this information now? And, and we have to question it. We do question it because it's like, why am I getting this now? And usually it's because there's something in the background with AI that you have already been identified to have diabetes. And so information about diabetes, including prescription drugs um, to treat diabetes are going to come your way. So let me, so, uh, so let me say something, Pam. You, mm-hmm. you just made me think about the, the TV commercials here where I live in the South. Uh, it must be like every five minutes there is a commercial about uh, a drug for diabetes, for um, di- mm-hmm. uh, the A1C. Mm-hmm. And I have to believe that based on AI or some other similar something, that they're collecting data that shows maybe even geographically where the populations are that are suffering from certain ailments. And yes. they're using those for their marketing, uh, you know, their targets. Um, so these commercials are, you know, ad nauseum, like every five minutes, there's a commercial about, you know, this lady dancing around talking about how she controls her oh, diabetes. Yeah. I've seen that one. And I'm just like, if I see that lady <laughs> waltzing around in that courtyard one more time, um, right. I, I get it. Right. You're handling your diabetes. Thank you very much. Now stop right. running those commercials. but. It's got to be a product of, you know, some kind of algorithm that is collecting that information. And maybe in California, they've got some other kind of prescription yeah. medicine that, you know, was targeted to that particular population. Right. Because yeah. you and I have even looked down that, that geographical roadmap of, of where certain ailments like mental health. Remember the yeah. episode we did on mental health? And it actually was a geographical roadmap to show exactly which areas or regions suffer from mental illness. And it was broken down by, you know, by the region. California has the least amount of people suffering from mental illness. So, but maybe there's something else medical that's going on Mm -hmm. with them, you know, that they're probably not getting a lot of these commercials because these companies are paying for the commercials. And so they break it down, you know, in their marketing, they break it down by the regions that are mostly densely populated with the people, their target audience, let's put it that way. Yeah, the demographics that are suffering from whatever ailment that is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great observation, Dan. Thanks for bringing (laughs) that up because our listeners need to understand that 
when Jay and I say follow the money, it's usually money that's kind of driving a lot of a lot of what's happening in in our world, in our state, in our city, in our you know even down to our counties and and small towns, you know, and so we have to be we have to be intelligent enough to not be sucked in by the intelligence of AI. And, you know, there was some some video that went out on TikTok where these fish were in the middle of the street, swimming in the middle of the street. I don't even know who created this AI image, but people started believing it was true. And there's a lot of stuff that you'll see on the Internet. And on, it was I think it was videos. sharks. I think they said it was sharks. Was it sharks? I think oh. they said it was... They, they saw sh is sharks or dolphins. I, I know what you're talking about because I saw it. I was like, really? Come on, people. Come on. Right. Because and people are actually believing this stuff. I know. And I'm going, it's like, dude. Yeah, do you, do you, you know? Come on. Come on now. Come on. Right. Right. And so the more images, I mean, every day, every sec, every second, every mid millisecond, of a day, there's somebody out there creating images, and, and they are photographic, editorial type images that they're putting out on these platforms. And for them, it may be artistry, but at the same time, people are beginning to believe some of this stuff, you know? And so I'm just like, so please, you will not see this stuff on, on television, so... See, and that's why we're here. We're trying to help you guide you through this process. So let's get back to AI. Um, and we were talking about, Jay and I were talking about 3D printing. And, and we'll probably have a future podcast on 3D printing. But 3D printing, um, they have found out that uh, 3D printing is so great at developing um like organs and and the creation of prosthetics and even skin cells for people who are burn victims they're now using 3d printing to create those skin cells uh, and i just couldn't believe that because i was astounded by that it's like how do you create skin cells with 3d printing but I think everything is possible at this point in our lives so they're taking if i'm not mistaken pam i think they take like a small piece of the person's skin's normal, yeah, undamaged normal skin. skin. And for some reason, the 3D printer is able to duplicate that. Yes. And so it really is the same. It's like cloning, like cloning, cloning their own. It's not like they're making it up out of a, you know, Elmer's glue and, right. you know, some water. <laughs> they are right. I, I think they are taking like, a, you know, the actual sample. person sample. sample. Right, right. And then the 3D printer is able to duplicate that somehow with whatever right. they add. Because, you know, with, with burn victims in the past, they used to have to do skin grafts. Right. Right. And cadaver and skin. Would, right. And yep. they would take any part of the skin that had not been affected or burned or seared or whatever to do these skin grafts, which was extremely painful for the patient, right? Because you have this new skin growing, but also you have to have the the skin where they took they took the it off of your... from. They have mm -hmm. to actually heal it, you yeah. know. And so it was extremely painful. So now the technology, the AI, is making all of these possibilities 
you know, for for anyone who is one, I'm gonna say this, not everyone in the world is gonna have access to all these innovations that Jay and I are talking about today because it depends on where in the world you live. In the US, yes, it's readily available. Not everything is covered by healthcare. Um, some things you will have to pay out of pocket for, but the majority of it, the things that we talk about are available here in the U.S. So if you're not in the U.S., I, I can't say exactly what regions this, you know, these things aren't available, but we're talking specifically about what is available in the U.S. And there's one that I had to laugh about, and this is what they call the U-scan. Now, the U-scan, <laughs> it's a sensor. It's a sensor that is placed under the toilet, the rim of the toilet, of your toilet. And what it does, it, it does, it assess, it takes the uh, biomarkers that's contained in your urine and the, and the person whose urine it belongs to. <laughs> this is kind of crazy. The person's urine can then is then downloaded to an app or that they can access by their phone. Okay. Can you imagine if you pick up somebody's phone and it's got this, hey George, what's this app on what's here? That? Oh that's for my that's for my that's urine. For my, that, right. That's for my urine when I want to see what's going on. It's like, what did you do, pee on the phone? <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> you know how they do the home pregnancy test, yes. you pee on the stick? Well, they've got well, the, you... the cardio mobile, too, right, that you plug into yeah. your phone for your for your heart thing. It's like, no, you don't pee on your phone. Thank you. Right, <laughs> right, right. It's a sensor that's, that they place inside of your toilet bowl that actually does all the analysis and, and gives you a readout of your results on your phone. And so, and it's pretty amazing because I, I think about that because I had uh, some test results. I went to the doctor recently. I had some test results come back from my blood work. And one of the markers was very high. And I was like, okay, after I looked at it carefully and tried to figure out why is this thing higher than normal, um, I was like, I don't even know what it's called because it had me like so concerned, but I, I ended up looking at what it was and found out, and then I, I, I had a chat with ChatGPT, <laughs> my AI bot, and I said, okay, here is the results. I gave it my age, my, um, my ethnicity, um, my activity level, um, and I think that was it. Oh, and my weight, right? So that it would have all of the pertinent information to assess why this this one marker was this uh, was so this plasma was so high, and so it came back and it gave me some good information on all my test results you know, of the good ones and anything that I could do to help alleviate some problems, you know, exercise or uh, diet and so forth. But this one marker I had, it had to do with the liver. Now, I'm not a drinker here, 
So let me tell my listeners now. So I'm not afraid of liver cancer in the fact that I drink or anything like that. I'm just not a, a drinker. I'll drink every now and then, but you know, that's usually for social events or, or celebrations, but that's about the extent of my drinking. And, but at the same time, it gave me a sense of calm before I have my doctor's appointment because I ended up having the doctor's appointment on Monday, this Monday coming, just to talk about my test results, which is great because I now understand what that one biomarker is, not only that, but what can be done or what further tests can be done in order for me to find a conclusive result. So AI has its benefits. Not only that, but it gave me a sense of calm knowing that, um, you know, it may be nothing. It, it, it was related to, it could be stress, inflammation, but it was all connected to the liver. So I was like, okay, I can deal with that. I, I can deal with that. <laughs> if it's stress and inflammation, I can deal with that. Well, have I been stressed? Sometimes. Uh, you know, have, has there been inflammation in my body? Can't determine. I'm not a meat eater. Um, so I, I know it has nothing to do with, you know, ingestion of meat. Uh, that could cause inflammation in the liver because anything that we take in has to be processed by the liver. So we'll see what happens, but uh, I, I'm not, it's not something that I'm worried about. Well, I'm glad to hear now that. I'm equipped with information. <laughs> yeah, I have the information I need. It's like, okay. Well, I hope I, they I'm gave good. you the right, I hope it gave you the right information because you and I differ on, on AI and, and relying on results of AI because, and you know, I have trust issues, Pam. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't go. To, I wouldn't. I do. I'm sorry. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go to Chat GPT to ask anything. I, well, I just. Well, here it is. I have my. I've been training this thing for so long mm-hmm. um, that you know I I use the best medical, the world expert medical doctors and and in, in uh, medicine and hematology to just kind of get an idea. Yeah. Because it's sometimes it's the idea to have the, the conversation with your doc with your doctor you know i wouldn't depend on it for treatment no not at all yeah. but as far as understanding you know why this thing could be could be and it always says could be because it always tells you you know my the way i train my chat gpt it always has to give truthful information as well as salient information because it always gives me that that recommendation at the end go see your medical physician yeah <laughs> yeah but here it is it's something that they may have to look at you know yeah and, yeah and, so and, I, and, I understand the apprehension but you know i think it depends on on how you use it and what it's used for and for me on a personal level it works well for me and I can, and I can also on the on the flip side of that, I can also tell you that with something that happened to me health wise, and my doctor came back and said, "Well, I think you need to see the so and so specialist." I'm like, "Yeah, I don't think so." <laughs> and mm-hmm. and I think she was just trying to. I think I told you about this situation, and I was like, "Well, 
no, just because this happened this time, it's not chronic. And no, I'm not going to go see a specialist just to make Absolutely. you feel good or to check that box. And oh, by the way, um, you know, I'm over 60 and this might be the product of this. Right. I mean, and so, you know, she's been sending me messages back and forth. I'm like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to go. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to go. I'm re- Lady, I, I'm really, I'm not going to go. If this happens a third time, then I might consider it. But, you know, again. Yeah, and everybody's going to make their own educated choices. Everybody has a roadmap for their life. Just like, you know, Jay and I have been around enough years to understand what our bodies go through. You know, Uh, and most women, most women, you hear me say women, understand the nuances of their body and what what's normal and what's not normal you know so we have to each navigate our own map on our own journey in this life so do what you got to do yeah it's <laughs> and, and we've talked about this before you know take control be empowered um know your body know you know pay attention right don't yeah. just let things happen Yes, and Jay, I'm going to let you go ahead and talk about, because I talked about you scan on this urine thing, and, and this is like, okay, so <laughs> this opens the door for you to talk about some meds. I, you know, I, I all of a sudden want to go buy one of those and download the app. That's all I can say. Talk about taking charge of your health, right? Right. <laughs> Put it on the toilet. Put it on the toilet. Yeah, it's like, mm. all right. Mm. Well, um, Pam was talking about biomarkers, and uh, I did a little bit of research on uh, some kind, some uh, illnesses uh, that folks have, and what the the new the new treatments are, and uh, the new tests. And one of them was pancreatic cancer. Um, speaking of biomarkers, uh, according to the University of California, San Diego School of Medicine, scientists have developed a test that identifies 95% of early pancreatic cancers. Um, that research was published in Nature Communications Medicine, and it talks about how biomarkers and extracellular vesicles, um, particles that regulate communication between cells were used to detect pancreatic, ovarian, and bladder cancer at wow. stages one and two. So those are early stages. And when you think about pancreatic cancer, it's one of the deadliest cancers. You know, it's right up there. And with, usually, and sometimes, you know, when they're at their early stages with a lot have. of diseases, you, there's no, you asymptomatic, there's no detection. Right, you don't know until it's stage four. And boy, right. if, you know, if there's a detection for stages one and two, holy mackerel, that's a big deal. Um, pancreatic cancer, um, it, it, you know, according to this article, it says it's rarely, rarely diagnosed before it starts to spread with a survival rate of less than 5% over five years. Boy, that's not uh, very, uh, not wow. very good. So if they can catch it at an early stage, your odds of survival go up exponentially, I would think. Um, so good news for uh, those who are you know, maybe thinking they've got pancreatic cancer or, I don't know, maybe that'll be a, um, a test that they start testing for if, yeah. if they've maybe got it. part of the routine physical. Right. I mean, they do that for hepatitis now. 
Um, they yes. do that for lots of hepatitis C, which used to also be deadly. It's now right. curable, right? So it could be that that is something that comes down the pike. Um, another thing that uh, that Pam and I were talking about before we got online was this University of Texas at Austin. Um, this just is f- fresh off the press. This was out. This article was out September eleventh, twenty twenty-three. And it's titled, Hot Summer Air Turns Into Drinking Water with New Gel Device. Researchers have focused on the moisture present in the air as a potential source of drinking water for drought-stressed populations. They reached a significant breakthrough in their efforts to create drinkable water out of thin air, a molecularly engineered hydrogel that can create clean water just using the energy from sunlight. Oh my gosh, is that a big deal? Um, not just the United States, worldwide, listeners, worldwide, wouldn't that be fabulous? All those places that cannot get potable water, they cannot get water that you know doesn't have some kind of disease or, or, or bacteria in it. Um, the researchers were able to pull water out of the atmosphere and make it drinkable using solar energy in conditions as low as 104 degrees, aligning with summer weather in Texas and other parts of the world. That means people in places with excess heat and minimal access to clean water could someday simply place a device outside. It would make water for them with no additional effort necessary. A significant feature of this research is the hydrogel's adaptability into microparticles called microgels. These microgels unlock the speed and efficiency improvements that bring this device much closer to reality. Um, and so this particular uh, uh, representative at the University of Texas says, by transforming the hydrogel into micro-sized particles, we can make the water capture and release ultra-fast. This offers a new, highly efficient type of sorbents that can significantly enhance the water production by multiple daily cycling. And I tell you, that is, that's a pretty big deal um, for anybody who's paid attention to some of the areas in the world that do not have uh, clean drinking water. Well, not only that, Jay, but when you think about it, when we think about global warming, because areas now are suffering from droughts that wouldn't have suffered from droughts, you know, less than five years ago. And so this, um, this is hopeful. I mean, you know, because... Everybody thinks that the world is at the hands of doom and gloom. I mean, you know, we all know that, that we're not going to make it out alive. But at the same time, you know, there's hope for a future, then God bless it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's refreshing to know that there are people thinking about these things, mm-hmm. right? They're not just letting nature take its course. Right. They're actually thinking of ways efficient ways, low-cost ways, solar energy ways to, to make things happen. And kudos to those people who are using their brains for good things and not bad things. Yay, yeah, yay. yeah. Oh, happy day. And here's, yes. one, here's one thing that is close to my heart, okay? okay. It's, close, it's close to my heart because I'm an old lady, okay? So... FDA approves a novel drug to treat moderate to severe hot flashes caused by menopause. Okay, so you, Pam, you and I have talked about this offline, and I'm just gonna say, you know, 
when it comes to guys who have no clue about what menopause entails, if they had menopause, we would have had all kinds of things on the market a long time ago, decades ago. But this, yes. <laughs> this particular drug, FDA approved, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, it's um, Vioza. An Can oral Vioza, V like Victor, E like Edward, O like Oscar, Z like Zebra, A like Apple, H like Hello. Okay. Um, it's an oral medication for the treatment of moderate to severe vasomotor symptoms or hot flashes is what they are, what I call them. It's a receptor, a 3NK3 receptor antagonist approved by FDA to treat hot flashes. It's not a hormone because that's what usually is prescribed for folks, for uh, women who are dealing with menopause hormones. It targets the neural activity which causes hot flashes during menopause. It binds and blocks the activities of the NK receptor, which plays a role in the brain's regulation of body temperature. Um, and so those male listeners who are, are listening to this, trust me when I tell you, if you had a hot flash, you'd be wanting something to take too. Because it's not <laughs> like something you just, you know, turn the air conditioner up for, you know, a few minutes and everything is good and well in the land of Oz. This is serious business, folks. This is like going to sleep and waking up drenched because of hot flashes. So I'm just saying. Now, here's the, here's the bad news. Because Pam and I have talked about medications before and... Okay, what are the side effects? Okay, that's all good. Oh, sounds wonderful. Uh, yes, there are side effects. And so, <laughs> speaking of liver, Pam, uh, the prescribing information for Vioza includes a warning for liver injury. Patients should have blood work done to test for liver damage. Routine blood work should be performed every three months for the first nine months using the medication. Every three months. <laughs> every three months, kids, right? And the most common, no. and, and here, here, this is a fun part too, because we've talked about this. We've talked about the side effects of these, these so-called miracle medications. The most common side effects of Vioza, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right, include abdominal pain, diarrhea, insomnia, back pain, liver injury. So, again, you know. We're already talking about the liver. We're talking about gastro problems. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. My hot flashes are gone, but now I have diarrhea, and uh, my right. liver is going bad. I right. mean. Gastro, yeah, now you have gastro problems. Yes, mm. yes. I mean, well, it just, you, you just have to shake your head. You just have yeah. to shake your head. Well, we live in, we live in some pretty exciting times, but also times in which we all have to take warning to all the risks that are involved in whatever we do in our lives. You know, there's going to be some risks. It's not for us to fear, but for us to understand as much as we can before making any decisions. It's part of a great decision-making process. Understand the information first, and then decide what's best for you. So, Jay, do you want to give us the answer to the trivia question? When was a toothbrush invented? 
I would love to answer that question, Pam, because it's something that has just kept me up at night. And I'm sure the listeners are on the edges of their seat just wondering. So this article, and this came from history.com, folks. This isn't something we just uh, pulled out of thin air. This article says that people have been cleaning their teeth for millennia, starting with the ancient Egyptians, who were thought to have scrubbed their teeth with special powder made from ox hooves and eggshells as far back as 5000 BC. The Romans opted for sticks with frayed ends, while the Greeks used rough rough cloths. Uh, About 800 years ago, the Chinese began fashioning proto-toothbrushes by attaching coarse animal hairs to bamboo or ivory handles. And during the the Middle Ages, travelers um, brought these devices to Europe. So that's a little background from history.com. Apparently, in the late 18th century, Uh, when an Englishman named William Addis landed in jail for inciting a riot, he was bored, I guess, you know, sitting there in jail, wondering what to do with his time. I mean, because what do you do in jail? But think about how you can develop a toothbrush. I mean, isn't that what everybody would want to do? So he carved a bone handle, drilled holes into it, and inserted boar bristles that were held in place by wire. And evidently, he mass-produced this so-called toothbrush and left prison a a pretty wealthy guy. Now, if you want to know where the modern-day toothbrush uh, came from, that was developed in 1938 by the DuPont Company. They developed the first toothbrush with nylon fibers and proved more sturdy and efficient than animal hairs. And thank God, because I really don't want to brush my teeth with animal hairs. Thank you. Can you still, can you imagine us still using animal hair? Oh, jeez. No, thank you. Um, And so it wasn't until soldiers returned home from World War II, indoctrinated with military hygiene habits, that brushing one's teeth regularly became a widespread practice. So even though the toothbrush wasn't really put into the mainstream until 1938, um, there were versions of it you know, in the uh, 1700s and even back as far um, as 5000 BC um, with ox hooves and eggshells. Boy, that sounds painful. How do you even have teeth after, <laughs> after touching your teeth? I can't, I can't imagine. Oh, my gosh. Well, well, listeners, that's another episode with PP here and, and- Jay. <laughs> And and we hope that, that you'll join us next time for a new episode, you know, on on, on what you will not find on TV, because this will not be televised.